0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Christy Cashman, author of The Truth About Horses. Just when she thought things couldn't get any worse, 14-year-old Reese discovers they can in the worst possible way. Her family's dream of winning the black elk race is shattered when their beloved horse, Trusted Treasure, falls at the last jump. Reese witnesses the family's finances, hopes, and happiness go up in smoke. While still reeling from that loss, the family suffers a second tragedy, resulting in the sale of trusted treasure that irreparably damages Reese's relationship with her father. Heartbroken, Reese searches everywhere to find trusted treasure in the hope she can bring him home and heal the rift with her father. Christy Cashman will have you laughing and crying, sometimes on the same page, all the while rooting for Reese, the most unlikely of heroes. She's an American, Christy is the American author, actress, and producer who has appeared in more than 20 films, including Kettle of Fish, The Love Guide, American Hustle, Joy, The Descendants, Ted 2, The Women, The Golden Boys, The the Forger, and many others. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great having you, and I also, I have Jane Seymour, I guess, the two of you on your way to (laughs) P-Town, but yeah, one of my favorite We're here together. Yeah, great. That's, yeah, Provincetown. i here say hi, Jane. Hi, this is Jane. I'm here. This is all about Christy's amazing book, so I'm I'm, I'm proud to be here. Great. Let's start with the book. Okay, this is a book for teenagers or a certain age group. Um, Is it, or is it for all of us, for adults? it's for everyone it really is
1: i mean the more people who read it the more people tell me how much they feel the book is for everyone and i think with marketing you know you have to start somewhere and so since the protagonist is 14 it just makes sense that um the you know the demographic would be for young adults but it really does skew older for as far as the content is concerned and it's a relationship story between a father and a daughter really the horses are are the, um, the world it's in the world of horses, but it's, uh, you don't have to be a horse person to really appreciate the story. I've, I've been told,
0: (laughs) is that right? Jane? I would say that's right. Um, I, I, I think it's
1: really very much for all ages, male and female. And, um, it's, it's amazing.
0: It's also, as you say, and I think maybe you're alluding to this, it's dealing with, with, with loss, with adversity, with trauma, Uh, Which, yeah, it seems those are the over for all of us, right? For all the age groups that we just have been talking about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So tell us about that. I mean, those are really difficult grieving, loss, relationships, adversity. How does that fit into the book specifically when you're talking about these characters or you're talking about 14 year old Greece?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I actually lost my mother when I was 17, and so I think that this book came from, you know, trying to make sense of that, I guess, uh and, and not ever really being able to make sense of it, but being able to create something that has a... <sighs> Oh, I don't know. Being able to create something that has an artistic view on what loss is, I guess. And it doesn't, it doesn't wrap it up in, in a nice bow or anything like that, but it shows how, how that kind of pain can inspire growth. And throughout my process of grieving my mother, which I probably have done in different ways and in every stage of my life... And it, it, it's just, you know, it just changes. The grief kind of changes. And I tried to put a, I guess I tried to um, give give light
0: to that in some way. It, it seems to me that, every I mean, life is full of losses. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? And how you respond to Absolutely. those. Absolutely. Exactly. And so just in your personal story, I mean, the loss of your mother at 17, I'm assuming you were... In high school or college or can yes,
1: I was in high school. I um, I was actually a junior in high school, and in probably I think a sophomore when she was diagnosed because she was diagnosed with a brain tumor and died a year later. So to the date, basically.
0: You know, when I interview people, and my background, as you know, I'm the social worker with the microphone, but people,
1: uh, yeah. who-
0: Parents who die I love at a young, yeah at a young age, um, they're always fearful, or m- many of them are fearful. I should say that the same thing is going to happen to them, and there's always that fear. You mm-hmm. know, my mom died of a brain tumor, and so am I. And mm-hmm. uh, and you get mm-hmm. passed, yeah, and that seems to always come up. I don't know if that's how it's been for you. Absolutely, my mom died when she was fifty three. And
1: I'm approaching that age, you know. So that's a, another interesting um, thing that you kind of work through. And and you're right; it's always there. You're always you're always thinking about it, but at the same time, um, I do actually believe, in some ways, that it sounds weird to say it, but my mother, by my mom. Dying when I was young also gave me license in a way to leave the town that I grew up in. Um, I might never have left Brevard, North Carolina. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a fact, but I, I think about that sometimes. Like, would I, how, what, how would it have changed the trajectory of my life? And I, for some reason, feel like if she was there, if she were there, still there, I might still be there. Not that that would be a bad thing, but it would have been very different.
0: Yeah, it would have been a very different life. That's true. I was, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to bring your father into the picture because, or the family, I guess, because mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it's you, the death of your mother, and what was what was the rest of what was happening in the rest of the family?
1: Well, I'm one of ten kids, and um, what's different about that's one big thing that's different about me and uh, Reese, the characters. You know, she's um, it's just her and her father that are left. After her mom dies. And that's, uh, you know, that's a very different thing. And one thing that I went through that's similar to Reese's because I'm from such a big family and everyone deals with pain so very differently, um, you have a sense of abandonment from the people you love just because everyone's trying to grapple with it. And and everyone's doing it in their own way. And so you're sort of, no matter, even if you're surrounded by people, you're still
0: alone and lonely in the pain. So given that, that you're, and you're talking about a family, as you say, of 10 kids, one would think, oh, well, you know, you can ha- some of your siblings will help you, you help each other, but everybody's grief is different. Um, so what and then you, you know, the story that you've just written or the book you've written with with uh, Reese, really kind of all alone with her father, how as an author, you know, that's a totally different kind of situation, not the death of a parent. Yeah, and so yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So I really wanted to um,
1: accentuate the fact that, that people deal so differently with grief and the father's way of dealing with it was so different than, Greece, than, than Reese's. She, he went and basically just dated everyone in town, you know, <laughs> to get his <laughs> mind off of it, I guess. Yeah. And 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 Reese was always longing to have the life back that she had when her parents were running the horse farm and she was always longing for the past and trying to get that back in some way, shape or form. And her father was trying as hard as he could to forget about it and go on and move on and do something different. And and so I, you know, I took what I knew of grief and how people deal with it differently and... and avoid it as much as possible. I mean, that's what really we're doing most of the time is trying to avoid pain, which you can't blame us, right, for trying to avoid pain. And I I tried to put that in the story in the most real way that I could. And I think that, you know, I think that it worked in terms of showing how they then were able to heal. in In order to heal, they had to come back to each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's really an important point, and I think that is one of the issues that people struggle with avoiding the pain. And you really can't avoid the pain. The pain is there. You kind of have to embrace right. the pain, as you say, and then okay. go forward. Like you were living in the South, and then you're, now you're in Boston and Chatham and Ireland? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess healing
1: isn't necessarily the right word either, you know, when I think about it, because there's, I don't know if there is healing after certain things. It's just, it's just changing and processing and, 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 and accepting, right?
0: Yeah. Acceptance and, and going when, when you can accept it, I, Well, as you said, trying to go back and make things the way they were, because they'll ne- you can never go back <laughs> and you actually can only right. live in the moment you go forward. Right. So yeah, accepting acceptance. So now, okay, I have to ask you. So, how old are you now? Fifty-one. Fifty-one. Okay. So, at fifty-one, what would you say to a young person you having got, lost your mother at an early age, at seventeen? What were you? What would you? What would you say to a young woman who has is going through similar circumstances? You know, I've I've met
1: people who were my age when they um, lost a parent. And that's the trouble is we were looking, you know, there are no words. There's nothing you can say because their grief is going to be very different than mine. Their experience is going to be very different than mine. Their relationship with their parent was, it would be very different than mine. So that's the, the struggle is that we really want to say something, and sometimes it's just you can't. There aren't, isn't anything to say other than maybe, because you don't want to say, you don't want to assume, you don't want to say, oh, I know what you're going through, because that in some ways doesn't validate their pain. It's, you know, I don't think that's helpful. I didn't find it helpful. I found I found so much of what people said to me when my mom died as being, sounding canned or not helpful or... um you know that like they felt like they should say something as opposed to as opposed to you know just just saying i'm here you know yeah. sometimes okay. i'm here is nice if you really yeah. mean it i guess yeah i'm here sometimes, how you are tell you tell here to, yeah. What you, yeah what do you tell people to say
0: in your position how do I mean, you advise that's people that's a good question because i've interviewed a lot of people who have gone through similar different losses but uh, interviewed a, a, an actor actually a couple of weeks ago, and he lost both his teenage children those, in, no. a, in a car accident. Oh and, my God. And is oh my God. That, yeah, but saying some similar things that you're saying, you know, like people shy away from him because they're afraid they're going to upset yeah. him and he said well nothing you can't upset me i've been through the most upset thing yeah. i can go through so you, whatever you say isn't going to make a difference in terms of that but as oh, you say can speeches don't help i think in our culture we're terrified of talking to people who just had a grievous loss so just being there yeah. and that that as you say and be and be uh, truthful about it i'm here for you how are yeah. you here for me what can you what can you do for me right now um yeah. So, yeah, and I, I think that that's, as you say, there isn't too much, the can kind of speeches are not helpful. I, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. <laughs> no, not even yeah. if
1: you had a loss, right, exactly, yeah. that's
0: not that's accurate. True. Yeah, but now just, I have a question about, because I know besides being an author and actress and producer and all of those things, you have an organization which I was really interested in. Mm -hmm. You think? um, Yes, you think, yes. Tell us about that, you think, for teenagers. Sure. Well, um,
1: I guess that basically since writing was something that I have done all my life, but I was sort of, Maybe fearful of coming out <laughs> to the world <laughs> as yeah. a writer, and scared, and and um, had a lot of self doubt around it. Um, it really helped me in the process when I when I found mentors who were very encouraging and you know, kind of said, "Don't listen to anyone else. This is great, and this is worth continuing on." and you know, that was later on in my life, and I, I kind of started to think, well, what would it have been like to have mento- mentors at a younger age, people who encouraged me at a younger age? How would that have, have been? And so, you think sort of was born out of that wish is that, uh, you know, for anyone, any any kid from 13 to 18 who's interested in the arts in any way, shape, or form, writing, um, we've actually made a film a couple of films actually we've've uh, we've done animation we've done stage performances costume design everything and everything in between and it provides a, a safe environment to learn and grow in the arts for for kids from all different backgrounds and so um, it was really important for me to knowing what I've been through and writing this book and and you know how long and painstaking it was for me to uh, take it on, and without really knowing what I was getting myself into. Uh, a mentorship program is, I think, powerful, and I think I would have I would have really learned from it and and grown and benefited. So I'm really happy that that I started this because it it it's a model that can be taken anywhere, even though we started in Ireland because. I have the venue in order to host the workshop weekend. Uh, we also did one here in Boston with Epiphany School, which I, I'm so uh, thrilled about. That is just one of the most amazing schools. John Finley, Reverend John Finley started that school. And what he's done in, I think, 25, the past 25 years with that school is remarkable. Um, we also partnered with the Commonwealth Shakespeare Company. And, and we learned that as much as it was so magical doing, that, doing the workshop in Ireland at Kilke Castle, um, being able to do it here in Boston without what we thought was the magic of the environment was still magical. And so it means that
0: the program has its own magic. <laughs> and that was such a cool yeah, experience. Yeah, so it's magical in Boston, it's of- magical in Ireland, and it's magical anywhere, yeah. What I hear you say, well, you're inspiring right. these kids, as you say, mentorship, inspiring them, and uh, many times I think a lot of, and particularly parents, will say, well, you know, you don't want to go, you can't earn a living by going into the arts, or it's not practical, and it mm-hmm. don't help to, mm-hmm. you know, encourage them in the, their creative endeavors. Are these kids from? Mm-hmm. How do you apply? I mean, are they from? Do you have any kind of criteria in terms of uh, financial or? Uh, demographics. You know, so. it's, it's the
1: demographics are all the backgrounds are all very diverse backgrounds, very um, um, just all different socioeconomic uh, groups. You know, we don't really want to single anyone out. It's all about your interest in the arts, so that should that should include everyone. And but it's you know we uh, I sponsor it, so it's not something you know no one pays to. Uh, be part of the program. So whatever city we go into and part, like for instance, coming to Boston, the kids came from largely from Epiphany school. They came from my friend, Angela Perry, who owns and uh, runs Boston casting. She put out a, uh, an email to her database and we had 25 kids who participated just uh, about two weeks ago. And, um, it was really amazing we, uh, they, now, we took Macbeth, right, because the Commonwealth uh-huh. Shakespeare Company was doing Macbeth on the Common. And the lead actor and actress came and spoke to the kids, and then we got to see them in the, final, in the performance on the Common. It was a beautiful summer night, and, I mean, that was just so wonderful for them to have a one-on-one with the actors, talking, asking questions, um, you know from you know why did you you know start acting how did you get into it uh and all the way to seeing them perform on stage and and they took macbeth and brought it basically you know to the present and just used the themes that um macbeth has in it to per- to perform these like 3 minute plays and it was
0: absolutely hysterical <laughs> it was so <laughs> fun <laughs> <laughs> so, is that the laughing and the crying when you're watching them perform? <laughs> I did that. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing, like the kids, what, what do you think they have the most difficulty with? I mean, they all come with different talents and... And, and experience obviously, and actually what, what do you do with kids who you see is I mean this is really good for them in terms of give the creativity, but maybe who don't necessarily have a lot of talent do you steer them in an, you mm-hmm. know what kind of direction mm-hmm. do you steer them in
1: um, well that's one of the reasons we do so many different disciplines I mean you know we one one weekend we might focus on uh, costume designs and animation and do a workshop on story writing. And, but it's kind of a boot camp. So you go from one, one you know, maybe writing, uh, doing a writing workshop right into a costume design and then straight into an animation workshop. So you don't have to have time to really sit and think about, okay, what, you know, how do I feel about doing this? Because you're so busy being introduced to something brand new. And that's part of it, I think, is just jumping in as opposed to, that's you know, that's what the workshop is all about, just jumping in and being exposed and doing it as opposed to think overthinking it. And I think that overthinking, it gets in our way. That is certainly something that got in my way and stopped me from doing most things that even including, you know, why didn't I sit down 10 years
0: ago to you know to write this book or 10 years earlier i should say okay um, so you're saying i'm and, going to interrupt and, because you're talking about overthinking and i think that is a big issue and you didn't yeah. have a mentor so how did you get past that overthinking and i think women tend to do that overthink it well, the first it, well, not thing not i quite did ready, I, first, I shouldn't do this you know you know that's a maybe a, one of our feminine characteristics but yeah so how did you do that how did you say okay i'm not going to overthink this i'm just going to push forward
1: yeah. So, at the time when I first started uh, thinking about writing the story, um, it basically kind of came to me as a vision. I mean, I, I had gone to Cavalia. Uh, the have you go, have you been to that the horse show? It's like the Cirque du, Cirque du Soleil for horses. <laughs> yeah, I've been <laughs> to Cirque du Soleil, but really? not Cirque du
0: Soleil for horses. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, it's called Cavalia, and I was really moved by it because it was such a spiritual experience, and it really brought me back to my childhood of how horses were so magical and mysterious, and and, and so I had this kind of vision of, of these wild, magical horses, and it started there, and then I kind of worked out from there to um, to tell the story, and it started probably with journaling and journaling about my own life and my own experiences with horses. Then, in the, I was also, as you mentioned, I was you know, trying to produce. I was trying to get, up, get myself out as an actor. I was doing all sorts of things, but what I did realize is that in order to take myself seriously as a writer, I had to stop doing everything. And I stopped Getting, I stopped trying to, you know, look for stories, read scripts. Everybody was sending me—not everyone, but you know—I was getting a lot of scripts in the mail to produce and um, going on auditions and that kind of thing. So I just said no to everything except writing. I signed up for classes at Grub Street in Boston, which is a writing, a literary organization that um, gives all sorts of different writing classes and. That was in 2014, and I just kept going from one workshop to the next. One would end, I'd sign up for another. And it didn't have to be anything, you know, necessarily pertaining to what my, um, you know, novel writing. I I signed up for essay classes. I was just writing, 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 and I think there's a lot to be said for that. When you want to write something, you've got
0: to get a lot of... Crap out of the way, you know. <laughs> you know thing you find. said, and we only have a few minutes left. But I think that I, I kind of want to, yeah, maybe end on this because I think you focus, and it's. Isn't it? I would imagine hard for as an actor to say no to a script, to say no to a production, and to really let go I of that, that and say, okay, I'm giving my all to to writing. Uh, not easy. I'm assuming not. That is not easy to do, but it, it was
1: not easy because yeah. because it's. Distractions can can become our life, and that's what I was realizing. I was like, "Wait, these aren't actually. I'm not actually moving in the, any direction. I'm just, I'm just being bombarded by distractions, and and that that has has become the substance of our lives in many ways. Distractions, 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 all over the place, and all of our devices and everything, and you know, information. The way we're bombarded is is, to me, just a load of distractions keeping us from doing what we we're meant to do. And until we realize that and really focus on on what that inner voice is telling us,
0: we're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Well, I thank you for sharing all of this today, uh, to, for my audience and, and what you're doing for all these kids and the book. And, you know, we, did, we touched on the themes of the book and, and part of the story, but I just want to make sure everybody... Here's the title again, The Truth About Horses. And I've been talking to the author, Christy Cashman. And you got to get out and buy the book. So tell us where to go, what websites, Instagram, wherever we can go to find out. Well, you're going to be in P-Town, you said. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I'll be
1: in P-Town. Well, Jane and I will be in P-Town, East End Books, on um, the 25th. Is that Friday? At uh, 6 o'clock. And she's going to be interviewing me. So that's going to be fun. Then we're going to be in Southampton the twenty seventh and twenty eighth at the Hampton Classics, but the book is available everywhere you buy books. It's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Millions, Target, and we just found out last night. I just found out that it is number one on Amazon for teen fiction. So that was a huge,
0: wow. uh, fun surprise. <laughs> Congratulations! That's great. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, really exciting both of you and well jane you're going to be the interviewer i didn't get a chance to interview you too but um yeah it was great talking to you uh christy cashman the truth about horses good luck with the book thank you i'm katherine zox your social worker with the microphone and you've been listening to the katherine zox show